Joseph's brothers go to Egypt. How do Joseph's actions slowly reveal his identity to them? What's the significance of Reuben and Judah's offers to Jacob to bring back Benjamin? And how does Jacob continue to wrestle with God's plan? Pastor Garrett and I will discuss this and more as famine has hit the land in Genesis 42 and 43. Here we go. What's the Point Bible Podcast. I'm Pastor Joe, and glad to have you joining with us today. I'm here with Pastor Garrett, and we are getting ready to look at Genesis 42. Pastor Garrett, how are you doing today? Doing good. Doing great. Awesome. It's going to be another great day studying the Word of God. We're loving the story of Joseph, and uh, we're gleaning a lot of great things uh, from Scripture. So why don't you go back and uh, give us a review of where we've come from. Yeah, so we jumped into chapter 41 last week, and that was Joseph's rise from the prison to the palace, right? His final exaltation, and he gets pulled up. Pharaoh has these dreams. No one can interpret them. The butler finally remembers, oh, there's this guy in the prison. He can interpret dreams. Joseph comes on up. He interprets the dreams. He proposes a plan. We talked about the power and importance of wisdom and discernment in the life of a believer. Pharaoh recognizes the Spirit of God in Joseph. Joseph is promoted. He is put on, he's given Pharaoh's robe, his ring, a new necklace. He is cleaned up. Everyone in the nation bows to him. His word is as good as Pharaoh's word. His image is that of Pharaoh. We talked about how it's like that with Jesus. You know, it's a picture of Jesus as the image of God. And then toward the end, We talked about Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, how God has helped him to forget his past and made him fruitful in the midst of his affliction. And then the chapter ends with the whole world coming to Joseph, and he is the one that's able to reverse the famine for the whole world. Yeah. And that's how chapter 41 ends. Yeah. And so the famine has hit the land. That's, that's, uh, and we're in chapter 42, and uh, we kind of get the, the time context here. This is in the first year of the famine, and there are a couple other things that kind of help us to understand that uh, when we get over into chapter 45, uh, it'll make the comment that there were still five years remaining, and then we know over in 43, we'll see it looks like about the second year in the famine. So this is the first year in the famine. So this is early on in the seven-year period. Yeah. You know, there's, uh, and it doesn't take long for the famine to hit Jacob's family hard. And I think it's important to understand that this wasn't something that just happened in Egypt. Uh, it's spread throughout the land now. It's, it's infecting Canaan, and it's affecting, uh, affecting God's people. Yeah, yeah. This We even talked about it. When was it? We talked about it way, way back in the beginning of our study of the book of Genesis. Remember, famine was a direct result of the curse of sin, right? Genesis chapter 3, you'll work from the ground and it won't give you its strength. We even talked about that just because you're a believer, you're not immune from the effects of sin, right? It doesn't mean that you've sinned, but it means that we're not immune from those effects, right? We still get sick and all this stuff. So even God's people even says in the land of Canaan, the famine was severe. You know, and the Bible says in other places, it rains on the just and the unjust and all of these kind of things that we all go through these struggles. So the famine has come to Canaan and to Jacob's family. Yeah. So Jacob, it starts right off in verse number one, Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt. And he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? It's interesting here. Jacob hears that, you know, we can probably go to Egypt, get some food and probably started talking about maybe we ought to go, yeah, you to know, Egypt. <laughs> might send you there to get it. And we get this idea, you know, he says, why are you looking at each other? It's kind of like, they look at each other suspiciously or like, uh-oh. It could be their conscience continues to eat at them because they know that's where they sent Joseph. Oh, yeah. We, and we, we'll we get the idea of the, the guilt and the shame of the brothers throughout these next couple chapters. It will resurface. And yeah, as soon as dad says, yeah, Egypt's got food and it's tough out here, 
you know, what do you think about heading to Egypt? You know, they both look at each other because Egypt means one thing to them. You know, yeah. For, in their eyes and to their knowledge, they killed their brother yeah. in Egypt. You know, they don't know anything of what's going on. Right, right. I mean, they they've lived with it for twenty years. This yeah. is how long it's been twenty years since they've sold him uh, into Egypt and so forth. You know, it's interesting that Jacob hears about that there's food in Egypt. So he was hearing about the provision that actually came from his son, even though he didn't know that. You know, it's kind of a neat little thing. Right, yeah. That uh, he was aware of the provision, even though he didn't know who the provider was. Right. I think that's the way it is with the... Right now, there's people that are not believers, but they are experiencing provision, and they just haven't come to know the provider yet. Right, exactly. (laughs) They experience even sometimes blessings, and they don't know who who the provider of these things are. Yeah, and so... uh, you know, he says, I want to send you down there and let you buy grain and so forth. So it says the 10 brothers, uh, so, so the 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's kind of reminiscent of the, you know, the 10 brothers in the field and the one at home. With Joseph, you know, remember the 10 brothers were out working in the field and Joseph was at home with dad and he was kind of the overseer, the supervisor, you know, Jacob in essence is saying, all right, you 10, you 10 boys go. If something happens to you, it's going to be sad, but I definitely don't want anything to happen to Benjamin. You know, it's kind of this repeat, rinse and repeat cycle of favoritism. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, um, and this is just, we know Jacob is known for this. Whenever they approached Esau, he sent his sons of Leah and sons of uh, Bilhah and Zilpah mm. out first, you know what I mean? And right. then he kept Rachel and her sons at the back, you know, it's like yep. he's willing to sacrifice part of his family before, you know, he, he certainly loved Rachel and he's showing favoritism to the children of Rachel. Right. He thinks he's lost Joseph. He's not going to take a chance on losing Benjamin. And, uh, you know, it looks like for about 20 years now, Jacob has just been living with this sorrow and fear. Well, I can understand to some degree. Mm. You know, he just didn't want to lose his youngest son. You know, Rachel's no longer alive, right? So Joseph and Benjamin were the only pieces, quote unquote, of her, and now Joseph's gone. Now Benjamin is the last the last result of, of their marriage, you know? So it's like this is the last son and I'm not going to send him. Yeah. So he only sends the other brothers, okay? And so now they're going to Egypt, okay? The place that they probably don't want to go, but they have to. The famine is forcing them to Egypt, mm-hmm. okay? And we're going to get the idea of all these negative things, famine, slavery, and abuse, and all that stuff. They're all going to, God's going to be pulling the strings behind all of them, obviously, to orchestrate his will, right? So this famine is pushing the brothers to Egypt, where Joseph's at, and we're just on a crash course here. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So they come in, uh, verse 6, Now Joseph was governor over the land, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them and treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them and so forth. So uh, they get there, and sure enough, they run right into Joseph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what yeah. are the chances? What's the odds? You he's know? the one that sells. You know, if you're going to get food, you got to buy it from him. Yeah, he's the one taking care of all this. It was his plan uh, to to store up the grain and so forth. And when they get there, they don't recognize him, but he absolutely recognizes them. Mm. And it's interesting what they do when they see him. What do they do when they see Joseph? They bow down. Yeah. Kind of reminds us of something, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like Joseph's dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Joseph, as a 17-year-old boy, had that dream. And now, you know, he's 31, 32, probably somewhere in there. Probably 37. Probably 30. 30 se- he was 30 when he started. Yeah, seven years of and good. seven years of good. Yeah, so he's, and if we're into it a couple of years, 38, 37, somewhere in that zone, 39, roughly. Yeah. So he's had this dream for 20-something years, and now... He sees his brothers bowing down, and uh, it even says, you know, he recognized them. They don't recognize him, and Joseph remembered 
his dream. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting after all those years. Yeah. He sees him, speaks roughly to him, to them. I don't think he's doing it because he's mad or he's being mean. I think he's just trying to maintain the the uh the idea that he's an Egyptian. He's not willing to reveal himself to them yet. The time for revelation hasn't come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he recognizes them, they don't recognize him, and he remembers the dream that he has. And so he starts saying, Listen, you're a spy. <laughs> yeah. You are spies and you've just come to see the nakedness of the land. Yeah. Well, and if we can just take one quick jump back, it this sets the precedent and continues the precedent of the ideas of Israel as a whole not understanding. You know? Yeah. They Joseph sees them, but the ten brothers don't understand who Joseph is. Yeah. And this goes back to another picture of Jesus. That when Jesus was revealed in the flesh to Israel, the yeah. tribes of Israel, you know, he performed as God, but they did not understand who yeah. he was. Yeah. You know, so it's it's one of those things that it's just that theme continues to run where they see but don't understand. Yeah, exactly. And he he sees them, you know, we'll see things in the in the gospels. Jesus knew what was in the heart of men. He yeah. understood men, knew who they were, all this stuff. But uh but they don't know who he is. Right. Even the disciples, mm-hmm. you know, they don't really they don't know. see and know. And so it's, it's kind of that same picture. Yeah. And so he, uh, I love the response. You know, he says, you're, you're a spy. And they, they say, no, Lord, we're not spies. We're just servants. We've just come to get food. And uh, we're the son of one man. And we are honest men. <laughs> That's probably going to have a hard time trying to sell Joseph on that one. <laughs> yeah, Joseph Joseph wasn't going to buy that one. He's like honest men. He's like, "Well, if you're really honest men, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to see about this, you know." Yeah. yeah exactly. And so the, the story just continues. They have this uh talk back and forth. We are uh, servants, we're 12 brothers, the son of one man, a land of Canaan. The youngest is still at home with dad, and one is no more. Right. Well, that one is standing right before them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they talk about Joseph. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that they really... I think that they knew he wasn't dead. I think they're just trying to continue the the lie. You know, they didn't kill him. Mm-hmm. They sold him mm-hmm. into slavery. Yeah. As far as they know, he's still living as a slave somewhere. Maybe they thought he may have died in the process of time, but, yeah. but the lie to their father was he was killed by an animal. Yeah. So they're continuing that same kind of lie here. We're honest men. Yeah, we're honest <laughs> men. And yeah, we have, yeah, the story is just, it's one of those things where if you tell yourself long enough, you'll just believe it, you know? Yeah. And so this is just what it is. And, yeah, you know, they might have just figured that being a slave, a Hebrew slave in a foreign land, he might be dead or who knows, you know? Just because they declared him dead doesn't make him dead. Right, exactly. And just because people declare that Jesus is not alive does not mean he is not alive. Well, and you know, it's, it, no, exactly. And it reminds me, if you think forward to the Revelation narrative, which is what we'll get to in another couple episodes, is, um, you know, they said he is no more. Well, when he reveals himself to his to his father, Israel, you know, it's like, you know, I'm Joseph, the one who was, mm-hmm. then the one who died, and the one who's now alive. Yeah. You know, it's like, because in Jacob's mind, he was the one who was, and he's the one who died. Yeah. And now he's the one who's alive, you know? Yeah. And that's just like Jesus, you know? He's like, man, I'm the I'm the one that was, and then I'm the one that you saw die. Yeah. And now look, I'm alive. Yeah. You know, you haven't seen me for some time. It's like the book of Revelation. You know, well, you haven't seen me for a little bit, but look at me. When yeah. I come back, I'm the one that's alive. Yeah. You know? the, the it, He's my favorite. I mean, the parallels, <laughs> the parallels of Joseph to Jesus are my favorite. And there are many characters and, and things that represent Christ throughout the Old Testament, but I don't think any of them do it quite as beautifully as Joseph does. Yeah, the narrative is really, or the story, the story, also, we were joking about the, <laughs> the words that we used, the story uh, earlier, so that's why it's funny. But the story is um is really, it's really well written, the whole arc, you know, of his life. Yeah. You know, this, um, it kind of continue with that, that picture it said, and, and I, don't, I didn't really highlight it, but at the end of verse number five, it says the famine was in the land of Canaan. Yeah. So that lets us know that Jacob and their family was having that famine. And now it has brought them to the feet of Joseph. So if we look at that as a picture of Jesus, mm. um, it was the affliction 
that brought them to that place. Yeah. You know, sometimes God uses our troubles to bring us to him, our afflictions. There's a verse that I wanted to share, Psalm 119 and verse 67. It says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Mm, Yeah. You know, in other words, what he's saying is the affliction, the troubles brought me to you, Mm -hmm. brought me to the Lord. And he does. We don't enjoy and we don't look for those troubles and trials and afflictions, but they have a way of bringing us to him. Yeah. And and that's kind of what's happened here. Right. They've brought the brothers to Joseph and they have bowed down to him. Yeah. You know. Exactly. And the, what is the affliction? This thing that's brought on by the serpent, by the enemy, these curses that sin has brought on, God is using them to bring people to the foot of the Savior. You know, that's just this whole thing of God using the enemy's plan for good, you know? Yeah. And so they come, they bow before him. They say, listen, we're honest men. We're good men. And, you know, Joseph, after he got done laughing really hard, you know, about them being honest men, <laughs> yeah. Um, he says in his mind, you know, he devises this plan, really. You know, you're spies. And you know what? To prove that you're not spies, I'm going to keep all of you captive, and we're going to send one of you back home to bring me your other brother, if you're telling me the truth. Yeah. And he puts him in jail for three days. Yeah, puts him in there and uh, holds him. And uh, and this is, again, it's almost like he's, yeah, just testing to see if they are honest men. If you're really telling me that you've got a younger brother, mm. I want to make sure of it, you know. Exactly. And, uh, of course, he's interested in seeing his brother. Yeah. His one real brother. And... um and they said, you know, in truth, we are guilty concerning. So this, they're talking to each other there. So they begin to kind of uh, talk about, well, and that might be jumping ahead a little bit, but they begin to talk to each other. And they don't realize Joseph can understand them. Yeah. So after they put him in there for three days, then on the third day, right? We know that motif. This is kind of like the yeah, testing motif. Exactly. Joseph comes out with this new test. He said, all right, new plan. He said, I'm going to keep one of you and the rest of you go back and pretty much what he says is don't even show your face again until you bring your other brother. You can't get any food. You can't get anything. And to, if you want your brother that I'm going to keep captive, you got to bring back the youngest brother. Yeah. And this is when they start talking to each other. The brothers say, man, we're getting paid back because, man, Joseph begged us yeah. to not sell him. And we did it anyway. And Reuben speaks up as the oldest and kind of does the whole I told you so. He said, didn't I tell you not to do evil, Dan? Didn't I tell you not to do that? And then he says this, you know, his blood, there's got to be a reckoning for his blood. You know, there's got to be, there's going to be a price to pay for his blood. And, you know, Reuben's right. You know, the price, you know, the price that you pay for doing something like that is you're imprisoned, you're in jail. But Reuben doesn't know that Joseph's already paid that price. Yeah, Reuben was the one that, remember, he was planning to come back and rescue Joseph out of the pit. He, he'd left the, the brothers for a while whenever they first threw Joseph in the pit. And while he went to maybe take care of the flock or whatever it is, they sold him. Right, know? yeah. And so and and uh, so he's kind of like, like you said, there's I gonna, told you so. You know, there's yeah. this reckoning that has there's to There's going to be place. a price that needs to be paid. But the irony of it is, is that he's saying there's a price that needs to be paid, but Joseph's already paid it. Yeah. Joseph's already been in prison. Yeah. Innocently. Yeah. You know, he's paid the price of a guilty man already. And they don't know it yet, you know. And this is when you were talking about they don't know that Joseph hears everything they're saying. Yeah. Because he still speaks Hebrew, you know. Well, he, sure. You know, so, but you may not understand by the flow of the story that Joseph's speaking through an interpreter this yeah. whole time. Yeah. So giving the illusion that he's Egyptian. He's living as an Egyptian. So he's speaking Egyptian and he's using a, a, an interpreter to communicate back and forth with them right now. He hasn't revealed who he is. And uh, it just kind of overwhelms him, you know, listening to him to say, you know, we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we didn't listen. And, and that's the reason all this happened. And said that Joseph had to turn away, kind of go in the other room and weep over mm, it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, it's a very emotional thing. He's putting this kind of a rough exterior because he's trying to maintain the image of the Egyptian. Right. But it's really pulling at his heart. Yeah, I mean, he has a soft spot. Think about this, the compassion you have for your brothers who tried to kill you. You know, I mean, he's Joseph is still moved by love for his brothers. You haven't even seen him in 20 years yeah. or 20 plus years you yeah. know, or whatever. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, it's a very emotional thing. 
And, uh, and so then they, uh, he, he says, well, instead of me holding all of you, this woman knew I'm going to hold one of you. Mm-hmm. And he grabs Simeon. Yeah. And it, it's interesting what it says. And I just, you know, I'll, I'll share this and see what you think about it. It says, it, he says, I'm just going to, basically, I'm going to hold one. I'm going to hold one, let you go, and I'll keep him captive until you come back. It says, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and so forth. And I thought, you know, we don't really know why he chose Simeon. Can't really figure out exactly Mm -hmm. why it was Simeon. But it's this idea of he bound Simeon before their eyes. I almost feel like it was he was showing them, this is what you did to me. Yeah, it's almost. I'm wondering if even the way he bound them was like a picture, and they were looking at it like, "Oh my goodness, this is exactly what we did to Joseph." Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that's definitely in play here because it even makes a point to say before their eyes. You know, like when the Bible says something, you know, explicitly like that, it got to mean something. You know, and he bound them before their eyes, kind of this, you know. I mean, I think this whole test, what we're going to see is all of these tests are really Joseph trying to decide, are you different? Yeah. You know, have you changed? Is there anything, you know, have you matured? Have you become more spiritually mature? You know, so he binds him in front of them. You know, is the look on their eyes different? Do they care? Yeah. Do they look the same way that I saw them 20-something years ago? Are you going to just forsake another brother? Yeah. Or are you going to come back and actually try to rescue him? Right. You know, and that's the underlying theme through this whole testing that we'll see. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it'll eventually come to a head toward the end here. So they, uh, he, he takes Simeon and holds him there in Egypt. He fills up their bags with grain, gives them all their food. And then he takes and returns their money. He has them return their money, puts it back into the little bags with the grain. And as they start to, uh, head home, they stop at a place to rest or wherever they're going to feed their animals. And when they open up their bags, there's the money. <laughs> and their and their thought is, what has God done to us? <laughs> yeah. What is this? That's what it says there in verse 28. What is this that God has done to us? Here we go blaming God again. Yeah, because, <laughs> you know, their first thing isn't like, oh, man, this is great. I got this for free. Their first thing is, they're going to know that we didn't pay and they're going to come kill us. They're going to come hunt us down for our money. They're going to yeah. kill our brother. They're going to anything like that. You know, they're going to, we're going to be in trouble because they're going to think we stole our money back. Yeah. Yeah. It, they don't look at it as a blessing. They look at it as a cursing. They understand, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, uh, you know, the powers right now in Egypt and, mm-hmm. uh, they really don't have the ability to stand up against <laughs> it. Yeah. And, but what they realize is, or what they don't realize is that Joseph has, Bless them, really provided for them for free. And we'll revisit that yeah. here in a little bit that Joseph has provided for them. But then they come home and tell Jacob, you know, and it's Jacob, you know, we got the food, but man, we ran into this trouble and he thought we were spies and he kept Simeon and we can only go back if we take Benjamin. Other than that, we can't go back and buy anything. And and Jacob, of course, is, you know, no way. I, I'm not taking Benjamin. He's the you know, my last son and you can't take him. And, and Reuben offers something here, which is going to be important. Reuben goes up to his dad and he says, listen, you can kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back alive. So Reuben offers the life of his two sons as collateral for Benjamin's life. Yeah. You know, and that's not good enough for Jacob. Jacob says, you know what? No, I can't send him. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Um, he just willing to leave Simeon there. Yeah, they just Jacob <laughs> is like, "Nope, I'm not going back to get. I'm not sending Benjamin. You know, here's this kind of favorite favoritism still. Nope, I'm going to keep Benjamin. Good riddance to Simeon." Yeah. <laughs> and he even says, you know, like Joseph and Simeon are gone. Pretty much he he writes them off, you know. Joseph and Simeon are now not with me. I'm not losing Benjamin, you know, and it yeah. is kind of like that, you know. Yeah. And we see a different <clears throat> kind of the difference in attitude between Jacob and Joseph. You know, we know Jacob, he has just kind of been all over the board. We, you know, as we looked at his life, he's up, down, in, out, all over everywhere. Right. And uh, at the end of verse number 36, it says, um, all this 
has come against me. He's kind of this woe is me type thing, you know, because of the things that have unfolded. And certainly they were tough things. Mm. But Joseph, on the other hand, all that he has been through uh, never has this attitude of woe is me. Right. Yeah. You know, two men that are both facing tough situations but they have completely different attitudes about it. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, Jacob is woe is me, and you know all this is bad's happened to me. Yet Joseph is a man who keeps his integrity, uh, does his best, and is just trying to uh, honor God, still carry the image of God. Yeah, in the midst of all of it. Yeah, exactly. Great, great lesson. There. Yeah, it is a great lesson, and um, and Joseph definitely is different from his father in that respect. So. Chapter 42 ends with Jacob just saying, no, you know, Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. That's what he says. He's like, and I'm not sending Benjamin back. Yeah. I mean, verse 38, again, just kind of emphasizes this point. He says, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. Yeah. I mean, here's 10 other sons standing right in front of him. <laughs> yeah. He is the only, or nine other, I guess. He is the only one left. <laughs> yeah. Well, what he's talking about, he's the only son of Rachel. Yeah, exactly. And this whole thing is, is Benjamin is the new Joseph in the story. So Joseph's, all this testing of the brothers is, how are the brothers going to treat the second Joseph? Are you going to treat Benjamin like you treated me? Yeah. You know, have you changed? You know, Benjamin's going to be favored. How do you handle it? Yeah. You know, it's this whole thing. Yeah. And then, you know, in, we'll talk about it more here as we move into the next chapter. But um, it, it it is clear by looking at the story that, that God is orchestrating this whole event. Uh, it, it's going to end up being a blessing. They just don't know it yet. Right. You know, <laughs> and it is as if Jacob is still wrestling with God. Mm-hmm. God has, you know, made this way for Joseph to be able to provide for the family. They're in the midst of the famine. The famine hadn't gone away. Right. But Jacob is unwilling to yield to the process. Mm-hmm. He's still wrestling with God, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. And he just won't let go of Benjamin. He yeah. won't let go. Yeah. And so chapter 43 opens up again, just in case you forgot. Now the famine was severe in the land. Yeah. It's reminding you this famine is hanging on. Yeah. This not, is not something you can outlast. Yeah, it's not letting up. Yeah, and verse 2, get this, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt. So they literally left Simeon there for as long as the food would last. Yeah. They were trying to almost bunker down and hunker down and outlast the famine. Not even res- out of respect to Simeon, they wouldn't go back and get him. Yeah. But when their food ran out, they knew they had to make a choice. Yeah. It's like they were forced to go back. The the circumstance continues to draw them to Joseph. God is going to use even the curse. He's going <laughs> to use it to push his people where they need to go. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we've prayed those kind of prayers, you know, Lord, whatever it takes, you know, especially when you're talking about family or things. Mm, yeah. And because God uses circumstances, you know. And when we pray those prayers, by the way, we got to know that whatever it takes means whatever it takes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love what it says there in verse number two. Go again, buy us a little food. <laughs> I'm thinking if you're going, buy a lot. You know I mean? I don't want, we yeah. don't want it to go back for five more years or whatever, you know? Yeah. Buy, but jo- Jacob's like, just go buy us a little food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go buy, go buy us something. Don't yeah. lose any more kids probably is what he's thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Try not to blow this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just try and, you know. Yeah. And then the next thing that happens, it says, um, but Judah said, so this begins from now, from chapter 43, 44, and into 45, the only brother that will speak from those three chapters identified singularly is Judah. Yeah. It will either be the brother said as a whole, or it will be Judah said. Yeah. Because now this is all ramping up because it's a narrative between Judah and Joseph. Yeah. Because in when it came to the selling Joseph, who was the one that wanted to sell Joseph? It was Judah. Yeah, so we thought we had hopes that Judah was gonna be this kind of really valiant one, you know, mm-hmm. and then he kind of blew it. Yes. And so Judah was the one that was like, let's sell Joseph, let's make some money off of him and lie to our dad. 
So Judah was the one that caused this whole problem. Judah in chapter 38, remember? He took a downward spiral, was a very like sexually wicked man and all this stuff, okay? But this begins Judah's redemptive narrative, his redemptive story. So we're going to single in on Judah and Joseph from here on out. Yeah, Judah says, The man warned us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Uh, Let me just say this about the famine. Joseph knows this famine's lasted for seven years. Yeah, he he interpreted the dream. (laughs) Because God had already revealed to it. The brothers don't know. Mm -hmm. They don't know if it's lasted one year or two years. Maybe they hoped that it would be over, you know. Um, Joseph knows how much grain he gave them. Mm. He knows they don't have enough to they make it to the enough. end. Right. He knows they're going to have to come back. Yeah, exactly. You he, know, it, it's just like yeah. that. He just that whole circumstance is like, uh, I'm going to get make sure you have a reason to come back. He, <laughs> you he, know, turns out he was a wise man. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so he said, so you know, if we don't uh, if we don't take him, if we don't take him, you know. We're not going to be able to go back and stand before Joseph if we don't take Benjamin with us and so forth. Yeah, he said, the guy already said he won't sell us unless we have Benjamin. And yet Judah here does something that contrasts with what Reuben did. So remember at the end of chapter 42, what did Reuben say? Dad, let us have Benjamin and you can take my two kids' life. You can take my two sons' life if I don't bring him back. Yeah. But that wasn't good enough. Right. But what does Judah say? Judah says, Dad... I'll give my life in his place. Reuben was not willing to give his life for Joe, for Benjamin. He was willing to give somebody else's life. There's a lot of people that will pledge somebody else's stuff, you know? Yeah. But Judah says, you know, you know what? My life's on the line for this. Yeah. And this is the big step forward in Judah's redemption, his ability to give himself up for his brother. Yeah. You know? And that's good enough for Jacob. Jacob says, you know what? Okay. Yeah. You know, when we were talking earlier, you had mentioned, I wanted, want you to say something about it here, but in verse number six, we see it, and then we're going to see it again um, down in verse number eight. It says, and Israel said, yeah, and then verse number eight, and Judah said to Israel's father, and then um, down in verse 11, then, his, then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Yeah. So in chapter... 42, it always refers to him as Jacob, right? Jacob. Mm-hmm. But now something happens. In 43, he's Israel. You know, and remember, these names are not accidental. It's not like the author forgot who he was talking about. Yeah. Because remember, why did his name get changed? He was Jacob, and then he had an encounter with God, and now he's Israel. Yeah. And then he went back to being Jacob for a little bit, had a new encounter with God, and now he's Israel again. Yeah. Well, in verse in chapter 42, when he won't submit to God's plan, when he won't go along with it, he's Jacob. He's stubborn Jacob. But in chapter 43, when he decides to finally give Benjamin up, finally go along with God's plan, now he's Israel. Yeah. You know, so when Jacob is stubborn, he's Jacob. But when he's submissive to God's plan, he's Israel. Yeah, and that's kind of the what we alluded to when I said he's still wrestling with God. Right. He's still on <laughs> one side or the other of this yeah, equation. In, in chapter 42, he's not willing to give in to the the plan, the, you know, for to bring him into to Egypt, so he's Jacob. Mm-hmm. But now he gives in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it says and Israel said yeah, it's what it's a great thing, and we saw that earlier, mm-hmm. uh, like you said, a couple different times. You know, yeah, you know that they would talk about even the his kids. They would call them the sons of Jacob, the sons because the they deceiver. were kind of had that mm-hmm. nature, you know. And later on, they'll become the tribes of Israel, right? So, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so that's exactly right. So his nature's kind of he's finally let go, and he's like, you know what? Okay, Judah, you've pledged your life in place of his, so you know, take him. And then Israel does something, um, you know, when we say Israel, we're referring to Jacob, Israel. When Israel um, says something next, he says, all right, I want you to go down there and I want you to take him the choice fruits of the land. Take this leader, take Egypt, the choice fruits of the land. I want you to think about it now. They're in the middle of a severe famine, right? Yeah. They have to go to Egypt because they don't have enough food, right? And now Israel is saying, take the choice fruits of the land. Almost feels out of place, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem weird? Yeah. 
He even lists some of the stuff, you know, take the balm, take some honey, uh, pistachio nuts, almonds, mm-hmm. you know. So it appears that they had some kind of food. They just didn't have the grain maybe that they needed. Yeah, and when you get the idea of severe famine, it's most likely that the, it's not that the ground didn't grow anything. It's probably that the ground grew so little it couldn't sustain. You know, we're talking about a lot of people. Um, but I want you to think about this. To Egypt, to Joseph, you know, some honey, nuts, things like that, to second in command, the second highest ranking person in the world, that's not going to be a life-changing gift, right? But the idea is this. Israel gave even though he was in a famine. Yeah. Israel gave out of his scarcity. Yeah. Think, now, think about what Jesus said. The rich man came and gave bags of money, and they're like, okay. But then here comes the widow with the two mites. Yeah. And what is Jesus? Jesus said, who gave more? And they're like, well, duh, Jesus, the rich man. He said, no, the widow, because she gave all she had. She gave out of her scarcity. Those two mites might not have done much for the synagogue, but it was what she had. Yeah. And, you know, the idea of Israel giving what he has. Yeah. Even in a time of famine. Yeah. When you have every reason to hang on to what you have. Right. You know, I think that's a powerful idea on on giving, you know. Yeah. Because you give because it's worthy. You don't give because you necessarily have a bunch of excess. You give because God's worthy yeah. of it. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And bringing it to Joseph is is a great picture. picture. Of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I even like it's like because he's made this change. Now he's not Jacob. Now he's referred to as Israel again. And uh, you know, take this, uh, and then also take your brother, arise and and go again to the man. And in verse fourteen it says, "May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man," and so forth. And, and El Shaddai. <laughs> God Almighty is El Shaddai. Yeah. The uh, the all sufficient one, you know, the one yeah. who sees and makes the provision, kind of a thing, you know. It, yeah, we are needing El Shaddai. Yeah, in the midst of a famine here, and you that's know? the patriarchal name for God. Like that's the patriarchal covenant name, you know. Yeah, that's what Abraham referred to God. So yeah. by him saying, you know, may El Shaddai be with you, that's that's Israel really get fallen in line now. That's Israel saying, you know, may the God of the covenant be with you, you know. Yeah, and we haven't seen Jacob invoke the name of God a whole lot here mm-hmm. in, in these last few chapters. You know, no. for a while there, there's altars being built and people calling on the Lord and all this stuff. But right now, we're in this time where it's not really been talked about a whole lot. Right. But it's, again, another indication that Jacob has wrestled mm-hmm. and, and relented, you know, yeah. in Israel now. May God Almighty, may El Shaddai, yeah. you know, be with you. Exactly. So... The brothers, they they do it. They they take him, and Israel has an interesting statement at the end of that paragraph. In verse fourteen, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may He send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, I am bereaved of my children. I am bereaved. So I want you to think about this. We talked about the idea of the curses meeting their climax in the Joseph narrative. Well, we know the famine has, because the famine's all over the world, right? That's Genesis 3, curse on the man. Curse on the woman in Genesis 3 was in part barrenness, right? And we talked about that was a struggle. Well, now, think about this. Israel's two sons from Rachel, the the woman of, of, you know, that he loved, the two sons from Rachel are quote-unquote dead, right, to Israel. They're gone. As far as he's concerned, it's and over. Rachel is once again barren. Yeah. She doesn't have any children, right? So think about how the book will come together. The famine will end, and Israel will now be fruitful, multiply, and plenty. The famine will be beaten, and now both of Israel's sons will come home. The barrenness will be defeated. You know, so yeah. it's kind of setting the stage for that. So now both of the sons are in Egypt, and yeah. the famine is over the land. So now we kind of have this this convergence of the curses coming together and yeah and it's setting up for you know a showdown yeah well yeah it's going to be the big climax and stuff so they go they go they take their uh they take their present uh the gifts they take their money double the money actually they're wanting to repay the first amount they thought yeah, you right. know mm-hmm. and then taking more money to buy and they come and they stand um before Joseph and when Joseph sees Benjamin with them he tells the steward of the house, bring them in. 
slaughter an animal mm-hmm. and let's have a feast. Yeah. That has a feel about it to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's just like it's like a celebration, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh the families come coming home kind of a thing. It has a little know? bit of the story of the prodigal son it feels feel a little to bit it like that, yeah. Kind of like the reunion and and you know, so he says, bring him in and Joseph we get the idea that Joseph has to kind of go away and do some stuff and they bring the brothers into the house and they treat them hospitably. They watch, they help them wash their feet. They clean them up. You know, they treat them very, very well. And then they have an encounter with the steward of the home, which brings a lot of actually revelation to this whole story, you know, and, yeah. and they have this encounter where they ask the steward, you know, they're afraid that they're going to get in trouble for stealing their money. You they're know. really worried about it. They're they're afraid they're going to be accused of this. Yeah, you know? they think that they know, and they're like, and they even said they think they're bringing us into the house to make us slaves. You know, they're really nervous about this. Yeah. So they go to the the leader of that house of Joseph's house, and he pretty much says, you know, hey, you know, we realized our money was in our bag on the way home. We have brought double the payment. Okay, we have brought double the payment, and we want to pay you for both of these things. And the steward of the house says this. Peace to you, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put your has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Okay, think about this. They went and bought food the first time. Okay. They got their food and the money they paid was back in their bag. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so now they're trying to pay for their previous order and their current order. And they go up to the guy and they say, hey, we didn't get a chance to pay for that. And what the guy says was, you know, don't worry about it. He's like, your God must have just given you money because somebody paid me for your food. So now think about this. The brothers received free provision, but they now realize that that provision wasn't free. No. Somebody had paid for it. Yeah. And that was Joseph. Somebody paid the price. Again, the picture of Christ just continues to just run through the story. Yeah. You gave it to us for free, and the steward said, no, somebody bought. I received the money. Yeah. Somebody paid the price. Yeah. And that's almost shouting ground right there, I tell you. It's pretty good. You know, salvation, it's free. Yeah. But it's not. It's not. Somebody paid. might seem free to us, but it wasn't free. There was a price that paid, and Joseph... Uh, paid that price. So the steward said, no, I, I was paid for this money, for this food. Yeah. And then he brought Simeon out to them, released Simeon. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's just all kinds of great pictures here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, and honestly, that is one that you'll miss if you're not reading closely. Yeah. You'll just kind of skip over it. But it's important to know that the Bible's wanting you to know that Joseph paid for that food. He paid for them, you know, and they got it for free because Joseph paid for it. Um, and then after that, the brothers all kind of get together and Joseph finally comes in. Yeah. He finally arrives for lunch at noon. And for the first time in a long, long time, finally, all of Joseph's brothers are in one room. Yeah. And finally, Joseph's vision in the field comes to pass. Right. And they all 11 bow down. Yeah. Verse 26 says, and, uh, when they came, they brought into the house to him to uh, the present that they had with him and bowed down to him uh, to the ground. So now you've got all the brothers, including Benjamin, including Simeon. And that's what the dream was was originally, right? He said, my sheaf, Joseph said, my sheaf stood up and your 11 sheaves mm. bowed to me. So when they met the first time, there was only 10 of them. Right. Because Benjamin wasn't there, but now there's all eleven, and so uh, it comes to pass. Yeah, he finally he finally sees it. It's letting us know that you know he was a, a prophet, a visionary. It did come to pass, and they bow down before him. and And when Joseph recognizes Benjamin, and he asks him, you know, is this your younger brother? And he has to step away for a minute because he's overcome with emotion. Yeah, because he's so glad to see his brother, and uh, he steps out cries over it, uh, washes his face, comes back in, serves them food. It's interesting. It's just kind of the custom. Uh, the kind, they're all in Joseph's house, but they all three, there's three different eating areas. Mm-hmm. So the brothers eat in one area. The Egyptian servants in the house eat in another area because 
uh, they thought it was not proper for Egyptians to eat with uh, the Jews because right. they just felt like they were better and so mm-hmm. forth. Well, same with Joseph. Joseph eats in the third room. Even though he's the governor, even though he's the second in command, he's still a Jew. Right. And so they know he's Jewish because they brought him up out of the prison. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he's not eating with the servants, the Egyptian servants. He's separated. Right. He can't also eat with his brothers yet because he's still uh, the ruler. He's still separated. holding that that's that illusion there. Yeah, so just kind of an interesting little yeah. little fact there, a little tidbit. Well, and another thing on that is, you know, Joseph is now the ruler of both the Hebrews and the Gentiles. And even though they're eating at different tables, the Gentiles and the Hebrews are both eating in Joseph's house. Yeah. You know, he provides for both of them. Yeah. And, you know, that's just another, just one in many, another connection <laughs> that... You know, Joseph's provision is good enough for both yeah. the Hebrews and the Gentiles. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. He's the Lord of all of that. You yeah, know? Exactly. They're all welcome. And they're all invited into yeah. his house. Exactly. They go to eat, and Joseph does something pretty incredible. It kind of amazes his brothers. He has them all sit down, and he seats them in their birth order. And so, and when the brothers see this, I mean, they know exactly what's happening. He sits them down from oldest to youngest. Yeah. And... uh they're amazed that it happens, and I saw one person estimated to the odds of placing 11 brothers in birth order is about 1 in 40 million. So they just this was not just a lucky guess. <laughs> no, Joseph is leaving the crumbs for them to pick up the idea that there's something yeah. happening here. They're, they're, they're trying to figure, or they certainly see something is going on. This guy seems to know us, yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. And so they start eating, and... They bring portions from Joseph's table, and, and Joseph gives Benjamin five times the amount of food as he gives to the other brothers. Yeah. You know, he favors him. And you might be thinking, well, there goes Joseph repeating the mistakes of his father, you know. He's just favoritism, and he's going to be trouble. But no. Remember what we talked about Joseph? He's a wise and discerning man. Yeah. The whole idea that he's testing his brothers is, have you changed? Yeah. Are you different? I'm going to favor the new Joseph, Benjamin, right? Yeah. I'm going to favor Benjamin. How do you handle it? Yeah, this is, he's wanting to see, you know, if their character has changed. It begins with Simeon. You know, I'm going to hold Simeon here. I'm going to see if you will abandon him, Mm -hmm. you know. And then when they come back to uh, the second time and so forth and he feeds them, he gets five times. He shows favoritism to Benjamin, to the youngest Mm-hmm. Uh, to the son of Rachel, yeah, and uh, just to see how they'll react to the youngest being favored because they didn't react too well <laughs> when Joseph was favored, right? Um, but uh, it appears there's been a change that's taken place in the hearts of the brothers. I think they've been humbled down a little bit. Yeah, and it, and it even says that portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. In the last line, and they drank and were merry with him. It's the idea of there's a better atmosphere now. Yeah. It wasn't contentious. It's, okay, there, there's a merry atmosphere now. Yeah, it wasn't fearful. It's uh, it's kind of this feeling like, wow, things are starting to look up. You yeah. Know? And uh, and Joseph's, Joseph's got one more test that is going to put his foot on the throat of the problem. He's You know, it's set in a good spot here, but then... As we move into the next chapter, yeah. Joseph's got one more test that he needs to see be proven, be passed. Yeah, we're going to be kind of left, uh, just kind of hanging. The yeah. chapter comes to an end, so our, you know, our study will come to an end with that. But it just kind of leaves us out there. They're all together uh, in the house, and Joseph is revealing himself in steps and portions. And again. Like Christ, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's revealing himself in, in simple ways, you know, on how he maybe binds up Simeon to let them know he knows them, to how he seats them, and how right. he, you know, five times as much for Benjamin. All these things are clues that that jo- who Joseph is, they don't see it yet. They don't know Their yet. Their eyes are still kind of blinded by it all. Yeah. But, uh, we're about there.
as we move through these chapters, couple chapters, we study the Joseph relationship with his brothers. Uh, Pastor Joe, what do you? What's the point of these couple chapters? Well, I think that starting there in, in chapter forty-two, um, we see that the whole earth is affected by the famine, and uh, it is bringing the whole world to Joseph, and that Joseph is going to uh, be the one who gives them, you know. Uh, the bread, those that give them the life and, and so forth to all of the, uh, not just to the, the Egyptians, but to the Canaanites and the whole world. And, uh, and he's going to put his uh, brothers to the test to see if they changed, to see if they are the honest men that they claim to be. Yeah. And that's really important. You know, the contrast between Reuben and Judah and how Judah's redemptive story begins now, you know, and how Judah, Reuben says, you can have my sons, but Judah says, no, you can have me. And how that just sets us up onto this, onto this peak now. And now the story just sits there on the top of this mountain and they're all having a good time in the house. And, you know, it seems to be going good. And then chapter 44 is going to kick the ball down the mountain and it's going to roll hard right into chapter 45, which is going to be, you know, this big emotional reveal. And, you know, it's really just cool to see how God's provision and sovereignty is moving through this whole story. And I liked, and I think it, it it's a good thing how we see um, Jacob's wrestling, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and uh, that it wasn't just a one-time thing and everything's perfect. We just see that he just continually has to deal with his old nature. And, and in chapter 42, it's Jacob wrestling, not wanting to do, you know, and follow what, turns out to be God's plan, but in 43, now it starts calling him Israel, and he yeah. re- relents and gives in and and submits to the plan, and it's going to be for the better, you know? Yeah, and it just shows us, too, it's a good principle, that even when it's hard, it's always for our good when we submit to God's plan. Yeah, and one last contrast, Joseph and Jacob. Jacob's like, why is all this happening to me? Uh, but Joseph never complains. No. He's always faithful, always bearing the image of God, always walking in his integrity, even though he's been through such great trials. Yeah, very, very powerful. Good lesson for us, too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the What's the Point Bible Podcast. What's the Point Bible Podcast is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Muncie, Indiana. Please leave a rating and a comment on this podcast. This helps us grow our audience to reach more people with this message. For information about this podcast, LifePoint Church, or for ways to support this podcast, you can visit lpc.tv or download the LifePoint Church Muncie app. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.